In the 1970s, there was a boy growing up in Southern California. His name was Todd Marinovich. Uh, Todd's dad's name was Marv, and he happened to play football in the early 60s at Southern Cal University, and then played for a while at, um, in the NFL, and later became a strength and conditioning coach. Through his time, both as a coach and as a player, and just loving football, Marv had a quest of coming up with a training regimen for athletes that would allow just about anyone to become a great athlete, and for good athletes to become exceptional athletes or football players. Well, in 1969, Marv's first son and only son, Todd, was born. And Todd Marinovich became Marv's case study for whether his regimen and his training would actually work. And so from the very beginning of Todd's life, it was all about training and it was all about football all the time. So for instance, when Todd was a newborn, while he was in his crib, Marv, the dad, would come and take his legs and kind of stretch them gently so as to create, hopefully when he got older, more flexibility in his legs and in his knees and all of those uh, sorts of things. Um, As he got a little bit older and started teething, uh, Marv wouldn't allow Todd to gnaw on um, plastic chew rings or a nook, but instead he would give his son frozen beef kidneys to chew on. When Todd was a little bit older and he'd go to a birthday party, he was not allowed to eat the food there or the treats there, but instead he was sent along with bags of carrots or maybe even zucchini, you know, depending on the day. At age three, Todd was able to throw with both hands, kick with both feet, and knew how to do sit-ups and pull-ups and actually started lifting light weights at age of three. At the age of four, Todd was running four miles in 32 minutes. So that's an eight-mile, or sorry, one mile in eight minutes clip, which is pretty amazing for a little, for a little four-year-old. This is how his entire life went. And while Todd enjoyed football, there was a part of it that he didn't enjoy so much. There was this constant pressure, this constant focus on football and exercise and being the best that he could be. That was like his whole life purpose, it would seem. Over time, Todd started to notice things. He didn't have a good relationship with his dad because it was all about football. Um, He also noticed that during the summer, everyone else would go on vacation. The Mareneviches, they stayed home because Todd had exercise to do and training to get done. Well, Todd grew up, and he became a really good football player. In fact, he started at quarterback for Southern Cal, just like his dad once played there years ago. And he was drafted to be a quarterback for, I think at the time it was the Los Angeles Raiders. He had what it seemed like to be what every boy growing up in the United States would like. Being a professional athlete, lots of money, lots of fame, lots of glory, all those sorts of things. 
But as good as things were on the outside for Todd Marinovich, he was a mess. His football career in the NFL lasted for about two years because of how messed up his life was. He had very little relationship with his dad, at least not a good one. His parents divorced, a lot of it surrounding around Todd and his upbringing. And he got into lots of drug and alcohol abuse. Years later, fast forward to today, Todd is still a mess in many ways. He has good seasons and good days, but if you were to Google Todd Marinovich, the latest time he was in the news was not so much of a good thing. And so the reason why I bring this up, this Marinovich story up, when it comes to a focus on sports and being the best football player ever, that may not relate to some of you at all. Maybe not to most of you. But here's what does. We live our lives hoping that they have some significance. We live our lives hoping that we find a bigger purpose than just getting up in the morning and go to bed at night. We live our lives hoping that we are able to make an impact with our lives. And so often we search out things for that that probably don't have the potential to do that. For the Marinoviches, it was football. Didn't work. For us, it could be a lot of things. Maybe for you, it's uh, success in your job or a certain amount of money in the bank account. Uh, Maybe for you, it's a, a type of life that you can live that's uninhibited by worldly things. Or maybe it's finding the right spouse or the right house or the right blouse. I just needed three words there that all rhymed and make sure you're still paying attention here. There's a lot of different ways that we will find or think that we can find value. And the truth is, or impact, and the truth is what our first fill-in-the-blank for today says, that we stretch our lives in the ways we think bring significance to our lives. So again, what I mean by stretch is there are certain areas in our lives where we go beyond what is normal or what is comfortable. And if you were to look at those areas where you've stretched or are stretching right now, I guarantee you this is true. The ways that you are stretching, in part, are in areas that you think are going to bring significance to your life. That's why you're stretching in those areas. We stretch in the ways we have passion. We stretch in the ways we think will bring significance to our lives. And yet, much like with your body, especially as you get older, not every stretch is a good stretch. So how do we tell the difference? What are the good stretches where we're going beyond what is normal or cultural? And what are the bad ones? And where are we stretching that maybe we shouldn't? And how can I, in my stretching, make an impact with my life and find purpose that truly has lasting value? That question about purpose is one that a king who lived about 3,000 years ago had to. His name 
His name was Solomon. Solomon happened to be king of Israel, the country, during the golden age of Israel. It never got better in Israel than during the time that Solomon was king. He had it all. Solomon was powerful. He was wealthy. He had riches. He had wisdom. He had women. He had everything that the world would think could bring significance to his life. It is said that at the time of Solomon, silver was valueless because Solomon had so much gold, okay? He had it all. He had more than anyone in this room could ever think of having. And so during the latter part of his life, what he did, because he had time, there was peace in the nation, he had all that he needed, he spent his time trying to answer the question that I pose to you. What's the purpose of life? And what is it in life that's worth stretching for? And after he was done with that, towards the very end of his life, we have the benefit of having in our possession his report, what he wrote, what his conclusions were. It's in the Bible. It's called Ecclesiastes, which just means teacher. Solomon was the teacher, teaching us through the book by God's inspiration of Ecclesiastes. And in that letter, we find, I think, great answer to the question that the Moreneviches certainly didn't get quite right and that we oftentimes mess up to. How can we use our life to make an impact? And what is the real purpose of life? So at the very beginning of his letter, Solomon starts with kind of the main point, and then he talks about how he got there throughout the rest of the book. But it starts in verse 2, after an introduction to verse 1, with the main point of what he concluded. And we're going to start right there today. Here it is, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, says Solomon. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Let's pray and go home. You know how they have those Instagram posts where it's the pretty little scene and then they put a verse over the top? I have never seen anyone post this on a picture on Instagram. It's amazing to, to see Solomon's response. And throughout the rest of the book, Solomon, who had everything and more that you think might bring meaning to life or that you're going after through your stretching, Solomon already had that. He is the perfect test case to explain whether that works going after those things and what brings true meaning. And the rest of the book, he kind of describes and explains that first thesis or main point. So we're going to go ahead and go into chapter two to kind of see a little bit of uh, what his thinking was. Here he's talking about wisdom. And he says this, I, in my searching for meaning, turn to my thoughts to consider wisdom as being important. And also, on the flip side, madness and folly, people who are not wise. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? What Solomon is acknowledging is that God gave him, some of you know this, a special measure of wisdom. In fact, 
it's not a lie to say Solomon was probably the wisest man who ever lived. And he's acknowledging that there's likely my successor's not going to be wiser than me. I, I think I can speak pretty soundly upon the benefit of wisdom. Next verse. I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. I mean, if you had to choose whether to be wise or to be dumb, like Solomon's saying, you know, it's better to be wise, just like you're probably going to choose light over darkness. Makes sense. Verse 14. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. What's Solomon hinting at here? Some people live their lives very wisely, and they make good decisions in their lives, and then what happens to them? They die. And then there's other people who live their life, and they don't make good decisions at all. And they live in a not very wise way. But in this comparison, what happens to them? They die. Solomon's like, Two very different lives led, different gifts had, and yet the fate is the same. Next verse. Then I said to myself, (laughs) the wisest guy who ever lived, the fate of the fool will overtake me too. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is kind of meaningless. Verse 16. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. You know, sometimes we get in our our minds that we think that what we're doing with our lives is, is really, really special. And the truth is, is that there's been people before us that did exactly what we're doing, or at least a facsimile of it. And there'll be people after us that are doing the same thing that that we're doing. And that the truth is that not many of us, if any of us, are going to be remembered very long by the world. I mean, Solomon being remembered 3,000 years later, I mean, that's that's a very, very unique thing. How long do you think people will remember me or you after we die? I mean, it kind of depends how nice you are to your grandkids. I mean, to be honest with you, they might extend it for another decade or another generation. But the truth is, the wise and the fool, the rich and the poor, we just, life ends. And as we think about life and how we're going to use it, our, our second fill-in is so important to think about, and we haven't gotten to the main point yet. I'm just building a case to get us there, that the brevity of life, that it comes and it goes, will affect how we view life and affect the purpose that we give to life. Everyone's life is kind of the same. You are born. You live. You work. You retire. You die. (laughs) And sometimes the gap between birth and death is longer for some and shorter for others, but it's kind of the same, isn't it? And generations come and generations go like... Waves in an ocean going out and coming back in. And our life, the Bible says, is an earth is like a, a vapor. It's like a breath in September in Minnesota that you see for a moment and then 
and then it's gone. And that truth, while not maybe fun to think about, you have to think about it when it comes to purpose and when it comes to how we're going to use the short life in the span of it that we have. <laughs> so what does the next verse say? Verse 17. So I hated life. <laughs> Solomon's response. Because the work, all the toil that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. It's going to get better, guys, okay? But it's going to get a little worse first, okay? So, have you ever felt this way? Like, the work that you do is just work you do again the next day? Like, you do laundry on Saturday, and then what happens next Saturday? Or before? Like, you're doing laundry again. I cut my lawn, rake my leaves, and they're all over the grass again, those leaves that I'm raking up again, right? You get up, you go to work, you come home. And then what do you do the next day? (laughs) You get up, you go to work, and you might go maybe to the kids' sporting event. But then you come home, and then you go to sleep, and you get up again the next day. And even those of us, and, and, and Solomon is not ripping on work. Like, jobs are good. You need to have a job. Jobs are a good thing. They're blessings for us. They allow us to be able to have food and and a place to live. But there is something, if you really think about it, that is so cyclical about it. And can, at a certain point, when it comes to just finding value and meaning in life, especially depending on what your job is, can feel like it's just a, a chasing after the wind. Verse 18 or 19. And so I hated all the things that I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. You know, they they say that no horse that, horse, no hearse that you see has a hitch, right? Because you can't take things with you, right? You just have to leave them, verse 20. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish? You know, elbow your kids, you know, are they going to be wise or foolish with their stuff? Yet they will have control over all the fruit of your toil into which I have poured my effort and my skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Makes me think about a couple, actually it's not a couple anymore. It's like seven or eight years ago. Uh, my dad's mom, my grandma Felons, passed away. A great woman, great lady of faith. Just, just loved her for many different reasons. Um, but my dad and his sister, because they were, they were the only two left. They were the ones that had to clean out her house. So like 40 plus years of living in the same house. And this lady did not throw anything away, it seemed. So cupboards and closets and drawers filled with dresses and old appliances and all this stuff. 40 years of um, film negatives. Like most of you don't even know what that is, right? But she had 40 years worth of these negatives from, from pictures that she had taken. And guess what my aunt and my dad did with most of it? They threw it away. And that's Solomon's point. The things that we work so hard for and treasure, there's a chance the next generation might treasure it. There's a better chance they won't. And so, what do we What do we do about that? Verse 21. (laughs) 
For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. Verse 22. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? This is a a key word we're going to come back to. He keeps talking 30 times in the book, under the sun, life under the sun. At their, all their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Have you ever thought about work at night? Have you ever not thought about work at night? Is maybe a better question, right? For what? Why? stinks. Doesn't feel so good. Solomon, could you not write a Hallmark movie, you know, instead of uh, this? You know where he's got you? Right where he wants you. Our third fill-in says this. The despair you feel about life under the sun is a gift. What we're feeling right now is not good or fun. But I will tell you, it is a gift. For some of you, it's taken you 60, 80, 90 years to discover what has always been in Ecclesiastes, even at the time of your childhood. For others of us who are much younger, who are younger than that, we don't have to wait to 80 to find out truth of what Solomon is sharing with us and to understand the brevity of life and how the things of this life that we chase after are not going to bring what we're looking for and in many, many ways are meaningless. It's a gift to hear that today. You know why? Because it forces us to search. To search for something else. To look for meaning and impact that are not in the things that maybe we have been trying to find them in. And where might that be? Verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. And in a certain way, it seems in this verse, like Solomon speaking out of both sides of his mouth, like just before he said, like, toil is meaningless. And now he's saying that you can find satisfaction in your toil. Like there's a, there's a glimmering ray of hope in Ecclesiastes that there's some satisfaction in toil. Where does it come from? How do you find it? Where do you get it? Verse 25. This too, I see, this satisfaction from toil is from the hand of God. For without God, who can eat or find enjoyment? Without God, who can find impact or significance for their lives or for their day or for what they do? And the answer is, nobody can. But with him, with the understanding that there is a life much bigger than this life, with the understanding that we are not here by chance and you're not in your situation in life, whatever that might be, by accident, but God guided you to this place and to this day and that there is a bigger plan than what you could ever imagine. Now we're beginning to see that what 
Solomon is doing throughout the, all of his book is he's kind of teasing us. With life under the sun being meaningless, life under the sun, life under the sun, because he's leading us to a different view and a different life. That being life beyond the sun. And if there is life beyond the sun, if there is a bigger story that our story just kind of fits into just a little bit, but it's not about my story and it's not about my life, but it's about a bigger story and a bigger purpose and a bigger impact and a bigger God. Well, now all of a sudden, it's a different conversation. Now all of a sudden, I'm starting to see Maybe not what I've been pursuing as being impactful, but how I can use my life to make an impact. You see, here's the truth about your God. Jesus came to live under the sun so we would have life beyond the sun. And it is absolutely amazing to me every time that I truly think about it, how the God of creation would come and live in this world that in so many ways is messed up. And there is blessings in life, and God gives us blessings to enjoy in life. But in so many ways, it's a, a tainted, difficult world we live in. And when, when Jesus came to earth, of all the people who've ever lived, he was the most on purpose and on focus and thinking about significance than anyone else who had ever lived. He stretched his life and his, his time and his schedule in all the right ways and in all the best ways that would ultimately lead him to winning for us that which we could not give to ourselves. As even his own body was stretched out on the cross. The culmination of him paying for a life that I live that can so easily be distracted and the sin that is attached to that. And he did the same for you. He came to live and die under the sun so there would be an entirely different category through which we would look at our own lives, that being life beyond the sun. Life with God for now, life with God for eternity. And how can I use my life to serve him? You see, some of you are waiting for your circumstances to change before you're really going to feel like you're hitting on all cylinders and can make an impact or have significance in your life. What I would like to propose to you that it may not be your circumstance that needs to change, that maybe it's your view I was trying to think about how to illustrate that, and it brought me back to a number of years ago when all of our kids were, were younger. And uh, there's not a ton to do in Minnesota in the middle of winter, but Mall of America is one thing, and the amusement park in the middle is something kids love. The only problem is, is that we didn't necessarily have the finances or think that it was wise stewardship to uh, have all four kids ride on as many rides as they want. So... We tortured them. <laughs> Not on purpose, but we'd go to the amusement park and then we'd say something like, you can pick one ride to go on, right? Like, that is really, really tough and difficult. In retrospect, that wasn't very nice of us, but that was all that we could, you know, really afford. Then, 
one year, and it happened more than one year, some friends gave us some wristband passes that they paid for, for our kids, and then we would go, and the entire amusement park was opened up for them in the sense that they could ride on whatever they wanted. The amusement park did not change at all. The circumstances changed not at all. But you know what changed? Their view. Because now each ride was not something that, you know, was restricted to them. But each ride was an opportunity to enjoy. When Jesus came to earth, he did not pay for all-day wristbands at Mall of America for you, but he paid for you a new life. And with that new life as his child, he tells us, he pleads with us, wherever you are right now is where God wants you to be. And I will, because of life beyond the sun, open up opportunities with everyone you know and with each circumstance that you're in where even changing diapers can be done to the glory of God and you can find purpose in that, whatever circumstance. Don't wait for your circumstance to change. Change your view as you wait for your circumstance to change. There is impact waiting for you in every season of life. I think to you, you teenagers in high school, and I just think about, like, there are kids in your school or in your college right now that so need a friend. And when I was in high school, I was too cool for that. I look back on it, and I am sad about me. But what if you teens take what Solomon is saying to you and you go this week and it doesn't have to be big things like, you know, Jesus loves you, right? You know, like do it in your own way, but maybe it's just a hello or maybe it's an invitation to your lunch table. I don't know what it is, but what if you looked at things different? How you could have an impact in someone's life? Um, you, you older people who are retired, I, I hear so often like, Okay, I, I've done that, I've served, I've done my time, right? <laughs> Type of thing. Like, life is almost like a prison sentence or something. I don't know. And I get where you're coming from, and I understand that things change, and what you used to do, you can't do anymore. But don't ever allow the devil to tell you that your time of using your life for impact is over. I'll tell you when it's over. It's when God calls you home to heaven. <laughs> But until then, there is someone and there is something that you're able to have an impact with and for. A life that is beyond this life that you can point them to, to use your life under the sun to be all about impact beyond the sun. So, in close, here's your stretch goal. I would encourage you to adjust your schedule, finances, or attitude, young lady, to make an impact beyond the sun. So for some of you, your schedule is so tight that even if you wanted to be a blessing to someone, you have it so filled with stuff that in retrospect, it's not impactful. You need to change your schedule so that you have more time for impact, not just with your kids, but people outside of your family. For some of us, it's our finances. We don't think about where our money is going, and so it's just gone, and we don't even know where it went type of thing. But how can I create margin in my finances so that it's not all about consumption, but it can be about impact, whether it be a church's ministry 
or someone in need. And again, for some of us, it's just our attitude. We've been waiting for things to change culturally, for things to change in my life, for my relationship circumstances to change, for my job to change. And we just need to open our eyes and realize, hey, all the rides are open. There's an opportunity wherever I've been planted. This series was called Stretched. And I want to be really clear to you. There was zero impetus for us to want your lives to be stretched more than they are. They're already stretched. Here was the goal. That we would look at our lives and how they're stretched and we would take control back of our lives. Because so often, what people are doing in our neighborhoods or what culture says we need to do has stretched us in ways that are not impactful. But what if we actually minimized our schedule or our life in a sense of the things to do, but stretched in ways that truly count, that are truly helpful, that truly help us grow? With that in mind, why don't I pray for you as we close out this series? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the life that you've given to us. Thank you for each moment, each day. And Lord, there is no one in this room that's going to get it right all the time. And for that, we are thankful for the forgiveness that you give to us through Jesus. Our goal is not perfection. That's what Christ gives us. But our hope is that we grow to live more impactful lives out of response to what you have already done for us. And Lord, I ask you to help each person in this room wrestle with that. Wrestle that to the ground to what that means in their lives right now. We are blessed to have life under the sun. May we use it to impact people for life beyond the sun. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.